Oh, I'd like to begin with a word of prayer. So let's uh, go to the God and ask uh, him to guide our time through his word and just ask him to teach us. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity. We get to be here together, gathered as your people, submitting to the word of God. We want your word to teach us. Lord, we want to learn from you. So I'm asking you to guard what I say, that it would be honoring to you, glorifying to you, helpful to us. Lord, as we seek to follow you in the ways of Christ, God, thank you so much for your people, and I thank you for this time we have together. Uh, Lord, may the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, if you have had kids or you've been a kid, which that's all of us, you may identify with this little scenario, okay? See if this has ever happened to you. Uh, You're the parent in this scenario now, okay? Your kids... Every single day, it seems, pester you and they beg you for a dog. Ever happened to any of you? Or if you're a kid, you were a kid, you probably did this to your parents. This happened to us. You know, some parents stay strong. You know, they just say, nope, not going to happen. Nope, not what we're doing. We're not a dog, whatever, okay? Others, like their hearts start to get tender and then eventually say, okay, we'll get you a dog. Usually for Christmas and it's a Christmas gift surprise. Okay, that's our story. But what if you as the parent just said, okay, okay, enough. Like, you've asked me for a dog. I'm sick of you asking. You finally convinced me. I'm going to give you a dog. And then you go over in your house to where a lamp is, and you get behind the lamp, and you motion with your hands, and then this is what your kids see. And you're like, there's your dog. Take it. Now, your, um, your children would not be very happy. You would not win a parent of the year award because what they want is an actual dog, not a shadow of a dog. And so as cute as you might try to be or as funny as you're trying to be, they're not having it. A shadow is really just a dark representation of a thing. It's not the reality itself. It's incomplete, right? It's an incomplete representation. If you look at your own shadow, the sun is hitting you and you got to in fact, I see my shadow right here. Okay, there's my shadow. It's, it's a version of me, but it's incomplete. It doesn't show the detail. It doesn't show the color. It's not the real thing. It's a representation of the thing, but it does tell us that the real thing is there. Now, in the scriptures today, we're going to see how God gave the Old Testament law to his people as a shadow of the reality that would come. So they had these festivals, they had various laws, and all of them were a shadow that pointed to a future reality, and that reality was Jesus Christ. Now, unfortunately, in the early church here in Colossae, there were some believers that got so consumed with the shadows, even though the reality had already come, they were so consumed with the shadows that they missed the reality of Jesus. I want you to turn to the book of Colossians. So if you find in your New Testament there, you'll get to the book of Colossians and then find the big number two. We're going to be in chapter two of Colossians. Now, we have been going through Acts, not Colossians, okay? We're taking a break today. And as we've been going through the book of Acts, we've seen Paul go from church to church and make disciples. Last we left Paul, he had just been arrested in Jerusalem, and his eventual uh, destination is Rome. He will head through the next couple chapters on his way to Rome, and he will reach Rome. And it is during his time in Rome, as a prisoner, that he writes several letters. One of those letters is this book of Colossians. And so that gives you an idea of when this is happening and what's going on. Now, Colossians is written to a church 
believers whom Paul most likely never met. He didn't know them. Paul writes with the help of Timothy. Timothy's probably his secretary, and he gives him these words. Now, best we can tell based on the book of Colossians and what it says in chapter one, there was this guy named Epaphras. You can read about him in chapter one. And this man, Epaphras, somehow came to know Jesus Christ, probably through Paul's uh, efforts and Paul's ministry in Ephesus is where he probably heard about the gospel and he trusted in Jesus and he was following in the ways of Jesus. And then he takes it back to his hometown, which is Colossae. And in his hometown, he shares about what he learned. He shares this exciting faith and he sees other people come to know Christ and then a church is formed. And so we have this church in Colossae. Again, Paul's not been there to our knowledge and yet he has this fondness. He writes with this fondness because these people are, are made in the image of Christ and they now have a new identity just as he does. So he writes to them in chapter one, and if you have the, your Bible open, you'll see one, you can kind of glance uh, at the subheadings there, and he starts by giving incredible thanks for these believers. He's thankful for their faith, and he encourages them, as he often does in his letters. He encourages them to bear fruit and to live in line with the identity they have in Christ as saints who've been delivered from darkness into light. Now then Paul writes this beautiful poetic description of the centrality of Jesus Christ. And he gets into that in verse 15 of chapter one. And it's, it's beautiful. Now, if you come back tonight at 6.30, Miguel is gonna walk through that passage, that very passage with us. And it's, it's exquisite. It tells us that all things are held together by Christ. In him, all things hold together. He's the center of everything. It's this just awesome central, uh, centrality of Christ passage. Then he comes into chapter two as he's writing and Paul writes, continues the theme of, of magnificence of Christ. And here's what he says. He says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Jesus is hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then he says, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily in Jesus Christ. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And then he says that the believers in Colossae are to be in Christ. They are in Christ, which means their old life is dead and their new life is in Christ. They've been raised again. So this is all that Paul has written up to our text this morning, which is in verse 16 of chapter two. And if you look at your Bible and you see chapter two, verse 16, you'll notice the first word is therefore. And that's why I just shared with you what he has been writing because it's important for us to understand what's happening. So read with me, follow along as I read Colossians 2, verse 16 through 23. So here's what God's word says in Colossians 2, 16 and following. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. Verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perished as they are used, 
according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is God's word. Now, in this text, Paul's really comparing two things here. He's comparing shadows and he's comparing substance, right? Shadows and substance. And and this morning, I have two main points for you. Number one, don't settle for shadows. Two, the Savior is substance, right? So let's start with number one, don't settle for shadows. Now, the shadows that Paul describes seem to be Jewish laws and practices, right? He talks about food and drink. Jewish dietary laws. So you can read in the Old Testament, if you've ever tried to read through the Bible in a year, you got caught somewhere there and you're like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. But there's a lot of different regulations and laws and all of those are are intended by God for a very specific purpose. Now they became controversial at this stage. They became something that the church was arguing about because the church is starting to... to, uh, engage a lot of Gentiles. There's a lot of people that are non-Jewish, and particularly here in Colossae, there there would have been a lot of non-Jewish Christians. And they're receiving this pressure, right? This pressure that they're supposed to live a a different way to be Jewish. It talks about Sabbath and festival days. And again, those that were not raised in a Jewish faith that weren't Jews would not have celebrated all these festivals. They, They would not have held to the Sabbath in exactly the same way. And so they're receiving this pressure from false teachers and from other other Jews who are saying, you need to be more Jewish. You need to follow these laws and these practices. And Paul writes, and Paul sets them straight, much like he does in the book of Galatians. If you've ever read Galatians, this is the issue that we're talking about. And in verse 17 of our text, notice what Paul says very succinctly, and he helps clear the air. He says, these, all of those Jewish practices and laws, These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. All of those Jewish dietary laws, they had a purpose for a specific time. It showed them that they were a set-apart people of God, didn't it? They're different than the rest of the world. Your God, Yahweh, is holy, is what the Jew understood. God is saying, I'm holy, you should be holy. Here's how you should be holy. It also reminded them of all that he had done, the festivals, whether you're talking about the festival of booths or you're talking about Passover, these were rich, rich holidays. And they all pointed to how God delivered his people, right? God made a people for himself. He delivered them, he sustained them, he protected them, and he was their God. He was faithful. They were beautiful. One of the most beautiful things about them, though, was this. They were symbolic, or as Paul says, they were a shadow. They were meant to point to something. What is this a shadow of? It's a beautiful shadow of an even more beautiful reality, which is Jesus Christ. And so when you look back in the Old Testament, you see David often talking about the beauty of the law, right? He says, I love your law, is what David says. The law is beautiful. All of God's instruction to us is beautiful and it's rich. It's beautiful as it all points to Jesus Christ. And so the law had a purpose, it was beautiful, and it all pointed to Jesus. These were shadows of the thing to come, and now the thing to come had come. Jesus was here, he had already been here. He was the substance, he's the real thing. And so the shadows, they become even even more beautiful, but they have to be connected to Christ, he's the real thing. To go back and embrace these shadows apart from Christ, 
to just embrace the shadows and enjoy the shadows without realizing the shadow and what it is a shadow of is to go backwards. It's to miss out on this substance, right? It's just to have the shadow and not have the substance. Now that Jesus had come, these shadows are not only inferior, but if it's disconnected from Christ, it can actually obscure the beauty of Jesus. And this happened all the time. Religiosity. Religiosity caused the people of Jesus' day, Jews, to miss Jesus. They were so caught up in the shadows, but they didn't see how the shadow pointed to Christ, and they got off base. The law is fulfilled in Jesus, and now we can see the beauty and the richness of it. How much more so for us today, right? Like Jesus has already come. We see the shadow and the reality with the shadow attached, and they were living in that shadow. Today, we should be able to see the shadow and see the beauty of Jesus. So in verse 18, you might have read some things that are a little perplexing, right? Like there's this other shadow, and really it's more of a distortion, There were false teachers in this day and apparently they had infiltrated the church or come from within the church, we're not sure, and they mixed these different beliefs, probably a mixture of Jewish practices and Greek philosophy and even some Jewish philosophy. There were secret spiritual experiences, the worship of angels it seems, right? All of these things are happening. It's kind of a a swirling pot. They were supposed to abstain from certain things, right? Don't touch, don't taste the things that it talks about. And we don't know exactly what this false teaching was, but what we do know from the text is that these teachers were puffed up with pride. They were arrogant, it says, from their arrogant minds. So rather than being Christ-centered, they were self-centered. And anytime we go to teach anything, and it's from a point of selfishness and arrogance, we go astray every single time. So these are the shadows that Paul's warning the Colossians about. What shadows do we tend to settle for? We don't know exactly what Greek philosophies and all that were being taught, but what shadows are we tempted to get caught up in and miss Jesus? Is the shadow of religiosity a temptation for you? Are you tempted to place upon yourself a list of things I must do and these things which I must not do? And then as you do and don't do those things, you base your peace with God. You base your relationship with God, your identity in Jesus on your performance. Is that a temptation for you? Are you tempted to judge other people by your standards and look around and like these believers were doing, they're looking at the Gentile believers saying, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Is that a temptation for you? I know for me, even after all these years of of studying the Bible and walking with Christ, having grown up in a very kind of strict um, do this and don't do this, Christian church, I find myself still to this day being tempted to base my, how I feel on how mature I I think I am uh, or how mature other people think I am, right? And I find myself, my emotions going up and down. I'm not a very good Christian today. I, I struggle with that. Do you struggle with that? This idea of what you do and don't do, all that we do and all that we strive to do for Christ should point to him and what he did for us. Maybe it's the shadow of learning and theology. I mean, these teachers, they knew some stuff. They were teaching, right? Maybe for you, you like to study, you like to learn, and maybe you're more intellectual. And you get into theology, and if you're not careful, that can puff you up, and it can obscure you from Jesus, and you can miss it. All that good theology which points to Jesus, you can miss it. Maybe you're tempted by the shadow of experience. You know, you judge everything by your spiritual experience. 
even your view of God and Jesus Christ. It seems that this early church, uh, these people were having experiences of some sort, some secret experience. And maybe for you, your uh, standing with God or your peace or whatever is based on how you feel and your experience. So you become disillusioned and you lose your joy when you don't experience or feel it. You see, when it comes to our spirituality, all that we do and all that we learn and all that we experience is supposed to point us back to Jesus, back to the cross, and understand it that way. If these things are disconnected from him, if they're disconnected from him, they're mere shadows. They're echoes of the true music, but not the music itself. We can't get distracted, church. This is really important to get this right. If we settle for shadows, it's not only that we settle for something inferior, Settling for shadows could mean settling for a false gospel or a hollow spirituality, something that seems really good, seems really wise, but it's void of Christ. You know, there's a lot of people today who would consider themselves spiritual, but they probably wouldn't even consider themselves religious. I took a stroll down Central Ave in St. Pete, and I wanted to look for signs of spirituality. And you'll see, you'll see uh, quite a few signs of spirituality. You'll see people very interested in, this, in the spirit world. You'll see people who talk about um, kind of philosophies of health and wellness, both spiritually, physically, emotionally, all those things. In fact, I came upon this really cool decal and it said Lumerian picnic. And I was like, that's interesting. Never heard of the Lumerians before. So I Googled it, read about it. It's actually this order and this fellowship of, you know, health, bodily health, spiritual health, philosophy, all of these things kind of mixed together. I'd never even heard about this, but our city can be spiritual. And that's a good thing that we should commend. The fact that people are open to the spiritual world, the fact that people are hungry, that they want spiritual health, that's a good thing. Spirituality is all supposed to point us to the Holy Spirit and it's supposed to point us to Jesus Christ. You could actually be spiritual and miss Jesus. You could be a spiritual person and miss Jesus. In this verse 23, this is what it says about the spirituality that was tempting the Colossians here. Look at verse 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. I want to read that one more time. I want you to consider how perfectly that describes the spirituality of our day today. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. Self-made religion, where we're in control, where we craft our spirituality exactly as we want it so that we can become the best versions of ourself. Self-made spirituality. And it says it has an appearance of wisdom. It all sounds really good. Like being a healthy person, being in touch with the spiritual things, it all sounds really good. Indeed, it's good to take care of yourself. It, like self-care is a good thing. <laughs> But is it possible that you're settling for the shadow of self-made religion? Do you tend to craft what you believe based on what you deem best? You know, and a lot of it comes from here, but then you find other places and all these truths and you, you bring them into this like amalgamation of beliefs. Here's my point. If we are the center of our spirituality rather than Christ, we are no better than the false teachers in, in Colossae. We have chosen to control what we want to believe and pull it from all kinds of different places. It's so subtle, and it has the appearance of wisdom, 
But let us not be fooled, brothers and sisters. True spirituality has Christ at the center. Why? Because the Savior is substance. The Savior is substance. Don't settle for shadows. The Savior is substance. And here, he's described as the head, the head. This isn't the only time that Jesus is referred to as the head. In Ephesians 4, we read about Christ as the head and the body is the church connected to the head. Previously in this letter of of, uh, Colossians, Colossians 1, verse 17 and 18, and he, that's Jesus, is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Colossians 2, verse 10, just a little bit before our text. And you have been filled in him, that's Jesus, who is the head of all rule and authority. So what does this mean if Jesus is the head? Notice it's capitalized in your Bible there. Jesus is the head, what does that mean? Well, it means, first of all, he's the most important, right? Or preeminent, as the passage says. He is the most important. Jesus is the head. It also means he's our authority, right? He's a He's ahead of us. He's like the control. He's in charge. I submit to his authority. And it also means that he's the center. In our text here, specifically verse 19 this morning, we see we receive nourishment from the head, right? He's our source. All spiritual life flows through him. To seek spiritual life outside of Christ is really to go on a wild goose chase, right? Because spiritual life and truth come through the head who is Christ and flows to the body that is the church. If we're trusting in our spirituality, we will fail. This is one of the things we learn from the Old Testament and, and reading about the, the old, all the Old Testament saints. You know, they are in this covenant with God. God is keeping his covenant to his people. How well is his people doing at keeping the covenant? Not so well if you read the Old Testament. They struggle, they fail. If, if the Jews had to rely on their spirituality, they're doomed. If you or I try to rely on our spirituality, we're doomed. All spiritual life flows through Christ. It all comes through him. We fall short of the glory of God. That's what scripture says. All of us, all people fall short of the glory of God, but the absolutely breathtaking good news is found in Colossians 2, verse 13 through 15. I want you to look at this, uh, and I want you to notice that these are the verses coming right up to our text here, okay? So this is what's setting the stage for the therefore in in verse 16 that we read. Here's verses 13 through 15 of Colossians 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses, that's sins, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He canceled our record of debt. Were you aware that you had a record of debt against you? That you owed God? Yeah, we owe God big time. (laughs) When you think about this, our list of failures, our selfish thoughts, our greed, our lust, it's a long list. But, Paul says, if we're in Christ, it's been nailed to the cross. 
the, the, the requirements to keep the law, the failure to keep all of God's commandments. It's been nailed to the cross and Jesus conquered our sin and our failure and our condemnation. It's done. It's finished, the Bible says. This is the substance. This is what it all was pointing towards. Jesus on the cross dealing with our sin. This is the real deal. No shadows here. And not only did he cancel our record of debt, the scripture says here, he disarmed Satan and all the evil forces. He shamed them, it says, he shamed them and he triumphed over them. So given all this beautiful, magnificent truth in verses 14 through 15, 13 through 15 there, then what does that mean for us? We come to verse 16, the beginning of our text, and it says, therefore. So what are we supposed to do? This is what we've seen and what, what we've been talking about here is first, we should not settle for shadows which only heap shame upon us. There were people trying to shame the Gentile believers in Colossae and saying, you need to be more Jewish. You need to keep these Old Testament laws. Paul says very clearly here, God fulfilled the law in Christ and he nailed all the legal demands of the cross. He fulfilled the law. It doesn't mean the law has no value. The law is beautiful. But that requirement to keep it, that's been nailed to the cross. All condemnation nailed to the cross. All shame nailed to the cross. Taken care of. Done. In other words, God shamed the spiritual forces so that we don't have to live in shame. God shamed the spiritual forces, Satan, and all of that, so that we don't have to live in shame. We can look to the cross where our shame disappears. So that's how we should respond. Don't settle for shadows. Also, we should hold fast to the head. And he describes Jesus as the head. We should savor the substance, which is Jesus. So verse 19 again, look at that. Holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. And here he's talking about the church. It's a beautiful picture, right? Christ is the head, church is the body, growing together, all the joints and ligaments. But he's the head. This is no shadow. This is powerful substance to understand that Christ is the head and I'm connected to him. This is how we grow. This is the only way to grow is to, is to understand I'm connected to the head. If the head is severed from the body, there is no life, right? Done. And so Paul is saying, you're connected to Jesus. He's your head. You want to have spiritual life or spirituality, you got to be in him. You got to be connected to him. In fact, this is how we grow and this is how we say no to sin. If you were to read on in Colossians 3, maybe you can do that sometime. Read on in Colossians 3. It's all about living a righteous life, the new self, putting off the old, putting on the new. How do we do that? How do we live a life that is pleasing to God? The only way we can do that is because of what Jesus already did. The only way that we can live righteously is because of the righteousness of Jesus. Some of you right now are, are discouraged because your behavior, uh, your performance, so to speak, has been less than stellar. And maybe there's some stuff that you haven't even shared with anyone or you, you would rather have be hidden. But because of all of that, your identity feels empty and it feels worthless and you're really discouraged. I want you to see this morning that the way that we fight the flesh, the way that we please God with our behavior is by living out of our identity. Our identity is not determined by how we live. And I wanna explain that. 
Basically, what I'm saying is our identity, who we are in Christ, what we just read, these verses, you know, that he forgave me. He took all the shame away from me. I'm his child. I'm his son or daughter. Because of that, that forms our behavior. It's not my behavior that, that forms my identity. Because if we look at our behavior and come away with our identity, we're going to be in trouble. And we do this all the time, right? It's our identity in Christ. This is what Paul is saying. Your identity in Christ is this. Therefore, this is how you are to live. It's so critical to get this order and these mechanics right. If we get it backwards, we settle for shadows, this performance and trying to do the right stuff and not do the wrong stuff. And that is just a shadow. It's supposed to point us to Christ who did keep the law and who was perfect, (laughs) who completely fulfilled the law. If we get this backwards, we can actually lose the gospel. If we get this backwards, we have no ability to grow in Christ. This is a danger for us as believers, and we always need to recalibrate. If you're like me, it's easy to get off course. It's easy to to, to get a little bit more based on how I'm doing that day, and all my happiness and joy and, and peace is wrapped up in that versus thinking about Christ and what he did for me on the cross and celebrating that, like we just sang about, right? So easy for that to happen. So an item of homework for you would maybe be to go home and to just contemplate and think about what are the ways that I can hold fast to Christ, as the text says. He's the source. He's the head. I'm supposed to hold fast to him. So how can I do that? What are some spiritual disciplines, practices that in themselves are not the reality, but how can I stay connected to Jesus? He's the reality. I want to be connected and abiding in him. What we're doing right here, corporate worship is part of that, right? You're able to to hold on to Christ when you come in this building. Sometimes, like, that's all you can do because you're so struggling that you just kind of stumble in here and you fall upon your brothers and sisters and you're like, I'm here. And Christ meets with you and you, you enjoy his presence. But outside of this gathering, how are you growing in Christ? Are you in a house group? Are you meeting with other believers? Are you in the scriptures? That's a good thing for you to really ask yourself is how am I savoring Christ, enjoying him? Only Jesus can save us, right? Only Jesus can save us. Not the Ten Commandments, not worldly philosophy, not our spiritual experiences. These are all powerless to fight sin and to rescue us. God is the one who gives growth. Verse 19, you see that in verse 19? It says, we grow with a growth that is from God. God is the one who gives growth. I can't manufacture it. I can't make myself grow, right? I can't do that. It happens only when I hold fast to Christ. He's the substance. Remember verse two, uh, verse three of chapter two says that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So self-made religion has an appearance of wisdom, but it is spirituality without the spirit, capital S. Right? It's, it's, it's this idea of it has zero power to change you. Uh, in Florida, I've noticed this, okay? In Florida, solar panels are pretty common to see on the roof, right? And I've never lived in an area where uh, salesmen have come to my door. I've had salesmen and saleswomen, they've come to my door to sell me solar panels. Never happened in Pennsylvania, never happened in Indiana. We have a high concentration of the sun here. <laughs> Sunshine City in the Sunshine State. So we're trying to harness the power of the sun, right? And so what you'll see is you'll see solar panels on the, on the roof in a place where there's no obstruction, 
where the full power of the sun is hitting it and the power can be absorbed. What you won't see is solar panels like placed right beside the house or the back of the house where the shadow or the shade just blocks the solar panel. That makes no sense. It doesn't work that way, right? It's got to be directly in the sun. There's no power there in the shadows. Now, if you're in the shade of the house, that tells you that the sun is out. It's there. But it's not, it's not connected to the sun. It's not allowing the power to be drawn. And this is how it is with us. Some of us need to come out of the shadows and come into the substance, which is Christ. There's no power in the shadows. There's no power in your own self-made religion. There's no power there. There's power in Jesus. So you get into the light. You allow Jesus to flow into you. Today is the day to come out of the shadows. Come into the light of Jesus. He's the source of all our life. From him flows light and life and growth. He's our substance. So we want to hold fast to him. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for your word. It is precious. And as we've been in Colossians 2 here, Lord, you've made it very clear to us that Jesus is our substance. Oh God, may we not settle for shadows. Any of our religiosity, if it's apart from your son Jesus, it's a mere shadow. It has no power. And God, we want to see ourselves change. We want to become more like Jesus. Lord, I want to take a moment just to pray for anyone who might be with us here or watching. And, and Lord, they're not exactly, they've never understood that Jesus has to be the center of our spirituality. They're a very spiritual person. They're very open to spiritual things. Lord, would you today help them to understand that your son is the substance, that Jesus Christ is where all life is, all power, and everything flows through him. Lord, that today would be a day of salvation, that they would, they would give up any attempt to find spirituality outside of Jesus. I pray for them. Lord, I pray for believers who've been walking with you. Lord, we need to be reminded that we have to be connected to the source. If we try to be spiritual apart from you, it is failure. If we judge ourselves based on our performance, based on how we do that day, or whether we keep all the rules or we don't do the bad things, we're gonna be very discouraged. Lord, you gave us the law and it was all to point to your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, may we celebrate Jesus May we enjoy Jesus and maybe he be the center of everything we do. It's in his name we pray, amen.